Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you this morning, and if you are a guest, I want to welcome you this morning. We are really a lot going on today, a couple things of particular interest today. We are having what we call our Connect Day, so if you're brand new and trying to figure out how can I get involved and connected in the life of this church, we're going to share more about that in just a few minutes, so you're not just on the fringe, but in connection in the life of this church with others. And then secondly, Uh, We started last week a 31-day prayer journey that we're calling it, and we are challenging one another and calling one another to pray with and for each other in different ways, and share more about that in just a few minutes, but we're in the middle of this prayer journey, so you picked a good time to visit with us at Tri-Cities. Honored that you're here uh, this morning. There is a reality about you and about every human being, every human being in this room, all of us have a longing to belong. All of us have this longing to belong, particularly to belong relationally and sense that we are apart relationally with others. Now, one of the great privileges of being a follower of Christ is that when God saved you, God places you into a family. Uh, All believers, when they come to know Jesus Christ, they can say we now belong to a larger family of brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, Life, and particularly this thing we call the Christian life, was never intended to be lived in isolation. Trying to do your own thing on your own was never designed that way. We are part of a family. The Bible refers to that in several different ways, particularly in the New Testament. I'll just share a couple verses with you. Really quick, Romans 12, 5 says this, So we... Though many, many parts, but are one body in Christ. Paul uses the word picture of a physical human body with many parts. All the parts are are unique and different, but all the parts make up one body. And are individually members of one, one another. As believers, you are connected. You are dependent upon one another. Let's just be honest with each other. We know we live in a Western mindset culture that values independence over dependence. Message of the New Testament, the message of the entire Bible is we are dependent people. We are, we are deeply dependent upon God. But listen, we're designed to be dependent upon one another. Some of you are experiencing great tension, great frustration, a sense of, of almost loneliness or whatever the words you want to use. And maybe it's because you're trying to live this life on your own. You're trying to follow the Lord Jesus on your own. Maybe a tip of the hat to church, an event on Sunday. But there's so much you are missing by not stepping into deep connection within the body of Christ. And we want to talk about that a little bit this morning. Paul said, if one part of this body suffers, we all suffer. If one part rejoices, we all rejoice. 1 Corinthians 12 says, when one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. One part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body. Then each of you is a part of it. When you became a believer, God placed you as a part of a family. Now there's some truths about families. All of us are part of one to some degree or some sort of a family, if you will. There's some realities about families. One thing that's true true about families is all families have weird relatives, right? Right. All of you right now are thinking of that weird uncle or that strange cousin, and you think, yeah, that's a really weird relative. I got news. Some of you in this room, 
you are the weird relative and you just don't know it, right? <laughs> so all families are a little bit weird. All families have the strange cousin, the strange uncle. Listen, some people have this sense that they want to push back from community and connection within the body of Christ because, well, there's just weird people there. You're right. You're one of them. You think, well, if I press into community, it's risky, and people are going to get into my business, and they're going to know too much about me. And here's the thing I think that fears a, a lot of us are afraid of, me included sometimes. People are going to get to know who I really am. And I'm not going to be able to wear that church mask, and I'm going to have to be honest about my struggles. And here's what you'll find. We're all messed up, and we're all struggling, and we need each other. God's designed it that way. And man, I hope we can press on past preacher talk this morning. This is not just a, one of your pastors up here trying to get you to be a part of a program. It's to hold out to you the biblical principle is that you were never designed to live in isolation from other believers, but to be deeply connected and dependent upon one another. Families, all families have privileges. All families have responsibilities. My family knows that. I have obviously a wife. I have three kids, two, two foster children. We, we have a lot of kids running around our house, and our kids know there's privileges to being part of our family. You get a roof over your head and a bed to sleep in, food on the table, you're part of a family. But there's also responsibilities that come with being a part of our family. Our kids know that. We're all learning that. Within the body of Christ, part of being in the family is we have privileges and we have responsibilities. Paul kind of hits on this a little bit in Romans 12. I'm going to just kind of jump around a few verses. I'll just read this to you. He says, speaking of community and speaking of being connected to one another, he says, let love be genuine. Another translation says, let love be without hypocrisy. Let it be real. Hate what is evil. Hold to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Now listen to this. Out, outdo one another in showing honor. We try to teach this to our kids. You want to outdo one another, outdo one another in showing honor to one another. Are you honoring your family members? Do not be slothful in zeal, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Verse 12, rejoice in hope, patient in tribulation. And here's where we're going this morning. Constant in prayer. Constant in prayer. Particularly praying with and for one another. James 5 is even more clear. The Bible says this, Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Be honest. Honesty, transparency. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Without honest transparency, I have no way of knowing exactly how to pray for you. I don't know what's going on in your life. Confess your sins. Be honest. Share with one another what's happening. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man or woman can accomplish much. Translation. There's much God desires to do in your life through the prayers of your brothers and sisters. Through the prayers of your brothers and sisters in Christ. So reality this morning is this, a vital truth, and this is kind of what we're going to ping off of the rest of the morning. It is a great responsibility and privilege to be a part of God's family. It is a great responsibility and privilege to pray with and for one another in God's family. So as we're on this prayer journey together and we're trying to learn as 
the disciples of Jesus said, Lord, teach us to pray. We're trying to learn to pray. Huge dynamic in the New Testament, particularly, is this call and this responsibility and this privilege of praying with and for one another as the body of Christ. Now listen, if I were to give some of you a mic in this room and say, you come up here on the stage, you come down on the floor, and tell us what it's meant in your life to know over the past 5, 10, 15, 20 years, whatever, that there are brothers and sisters praying for you. What has that meant to you? What has that meant to you in the highs of highs? What has it meant to you in the lows of lows? What has it meant to you when that marriage is struggling? What has it meant to you when you got that pink slip at work? What has it meant to you when you're fighting the same battle with the flesh that we're all fighting? To know day in and day out there was a brother, a sister, a group of people that were taking your name before the very presence of God and praying on your behalf. And I know there would be testimony after testimony and say, I, listen, I can give my own testimony. I can, tell you, I can tell you those moments in life. I'm thinking of one particular that happened when Jennifer and I lived in Las Vegas, probably one of the most difficult times we ever walked through. It was one of those times you can probably relate to. It was a sense that we were being carried along by the prayers of God's people. You ever been there? It's a great privilege And a great responsibility as a part of the body of Christ to pray with and for each other. So we're on this prayer journey to learn how to do that. Aspect of this prayer journey, we're dedicating our weekend services. We're going to be teaching on prayer over the next few weeks. We're calling our life groups to pray in particular. And we've published a a prayer guide for you, a 31-day prayer guide. I encourage you to use that. It's online. You can download that. You can pick out a a hard copy as you leave this morning. Today, for example, we're, we're all praying together, day 10, for the growth of one another. That we are deeply growing and more fruitful and full of joy of of Christ in us. We're praying for one another as a church. I encourage you to take part in that prayer guide and utilize that as part of your walk with the Lord. I also want to let you know about a couple of resources. Uh, we want to continue to equip you in this walk with the Lord with great resources. When you leave this morning, these will be for sale out here. One of the greatest books I've ever read on prayer, I've been reading this. I'm not quite finished with it. Our elders read this. Timothy Keller wrote a book called Prayer. <laughs> What's that about? Prayer. <laughs> it's a great book, incredible resource. Pick this up on your way out. Another book we're making available to you is called Praying the Bible. This is by Donald Whitney. As we want to continue to uh, disciple one another through great resources, but they're available out of the resource kiosk when you leave. So this morning, that's what we're going to talk about because here's a conviction. The conviction is this, that there is a degree, there is a degree of unity, a degree of power, a degree of impact, and a degree of blessing experienced only experienced by the family, the body of Christ, only when we pray with and for one another. There's so much God has for us as we learn to pray for one another. It's a privilege and a gift. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to share four quick truths with you this morning from God's Word, and then we're going to make it really practical and applicable in your life. Four prayer truths about this whole idea of praying for one another this morning. All right, let me give you the first one. It says this. Prayer... Or praying for one another is a family responsibility. I mentioned that earlier. You're part of a family. We have responsibilities. We pray for one another. 
Paul said First Thessalonians 1, 2, he said, We give thanks to God always for all of you, his fellow believers, brothers in Christ, making mention of you in our prayers. Paul said, I pray for you. I pray for you. There's a little verse tucked back in Colossians chapter 4. I'm going to read this, Colossians 4, 12. If you want to turn there, you can. We'll be turning to a lot of different scriptures. But there's a little verse tucked back in Colossians 4 in a man named Epaphras. I've never even heard of that guy. Well, God chose to put the story very quickly of a man named Epaphras in the Bible, preserve it for all eternity. And what, we, what do we know about Epaphras? Well, listen to this verse, Colossians 4.12. Epaphras, who is one of your number, Paul was in prison, he was in chains, the church at Colossae evidently had sent Epaphras to Paul. So he was a member of the church at Colossae. He had come to Paul. Now Paul is writing back to that church. He says, Epaphras, one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings. Epaphras, what do you do? Watch this. Always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers. Don't you love that? Here's a man that God chose to place in the Scriptures for us to be reading about 2,000 years later. What did you do, Epaphras? Labored earnestly for his brothers and sisters in prayer. Did you love that? Man, I was convicted when I saw that this week. I probably read that verse before. Sure, I have, but this week it just jumped out to me. Sometimes prayers work. Did you know that? I've got a confession. When I when I. When I'm praying or when I'm in prayer, there's not always angels above my head singing, right? Sometimes it's work. Epaphras is an example. I said he, he labored earnestly for his brothers and sisters in prayer. It's like a fight. I'm just going to fight through that. I'm going I'm to pray for my brothers and sisters. That, it says, you may stand perfect, fully assured in the will of God. He prayed for the growth, the stability, the maturity of his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. He prayed for them. God, give us more Epaphrases, right? Let's be a church of these kind of people. Ephesians 6, 18, Paul says, pray in the Spirit when? At all times... Sometimes we get messed up, and we talked about this uh, last week a little bit. Is our prayer time, is our life of prayer to be this specific time of the day that we maybe enter our prayer room, and it's a, a dedicated time, or is our prayer life as we go throughout the day, and as we run into opportunities, and the Spirit of God prompts us, and we're just kind of pray without ceasing. Is it this or this? Well, it's both. It's not just a prayer life, it's a life of prayer, of this constant communion with God. Paul says, pray in the Spirit at all times on every occasion. Stay alert. When you pray, there's this alertness that the Spirit of God yields for you on behalf of one another, that you know how to pray for one another. Stay alert, be persistent in your prayers for all believers. Praying for one another is a family responsibility. Secondly, being prayed for is a family privilege. I mean, again, I know the testimonies of some of you in this room. You, you heard at the beginning of the message the testimony of Travis. and I'm one of those guys that gets to pray for Travis on a regular basis. We used to be in a life group together. And I, I know his story. I know what he's gone through the last few years. He will stand here and tell you just like he did on that screen. One of the things that's carried him through is he's known there's been a group of men that have been praying for him by name. 
Some of us are weak in our walks with the Lord. We are weak in areas of our life because we don't have the, the undergirding of men and women who are praying for us and that privilege and that gift. Paul knew the importance of that. Philippians 1.19, listen to what he said. From prison, writing back to the church at Philippi, he says this, For I know... There was no doubt in Paul's mind what was happening. I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Paul said, I don't know exactly what my future is. It doesn't look good. I'm in chains here in Rome, but here's what I know. You're praying for me, and God's going to use your prayers to turn this out for my deliverance. Paul understood the privilege that it is for people to be praying for you. Listen, let me just... Let me say something to you in all honesty. The reason we're talking about this this morning is not that so you'll go jump on a program or be a part of a program here or feel guilted into be a part of a life group. Here's what I yearn for you is that none of you who call Tri-Cities Baptist your church home are trying to fight through this thing called the Christian life alone and you think you can live on the edge and on the fringe and not face struggle, not feel defeat, not feel woefully frustrated in your walk with Christ. I want you to know the joy and the privilege it is of brothers and sisters holding you up in prayer. I want you to know that. But you'll never know that on the fringe. You'll never know it by being merely a weekend attender. You know it when you take a risk, when you take a chance, when you say, I'm going to press into community. I'm going to step into community. I know the people are weird. I know they're nosy. They're probably going to bother me. They sometimes they do weird things. They say weird things. I don't, I don't even want to know all that's going on in their lives. I just need help. I, I'm, I'm afraid of being honest. Whatever your challenges are. I yearn for you to know the strength and the stability that it is of genuine community. And a part of that is your brothers and sisters praying for you. I want you to know that. You say, well, hey, everything's going cool right now. Everything's good. I'm stable. There's no problems. Hang on. Hang on. We're designed to live in dependence on one another. And if you've If you've drifted over to the place where you think I'm doing fine on my own, I've got it all covered, you are drifting to that place of scary independence, which is a myth and a lie. You need one another desperately. Paul knew that. The Bible teaches that. Third truth. So prayer is a responsibility as a part of being a family. Prayer is an incredible privilege as we pray for one another. Number three, and I'll say this in this context as a church. What are we about as a church? We want to be a church that makes disciples who makes disciples. That's what Jesus told us to do. I mean, if you boil it all down, every program, everything we do, whether it's impact, connect days, services, all these things that we do as a church, ultimately we're trying to get at what Jesus says, I'm glorified most when disciples are growing in Christ and they're making other disciples. That's what we want to be about. That's why we try to equip you, train you, get you in groups so you're healthy, you're growing, and then you can take your life and invest it in the lives of others. Like what Paul was talking about earlier with impact. That's a way to get at it. Here's the role prayer plays in all that. Number three, praying is essential in disciple making. It's essential. If you're a parent, mom, dad, if you are a 
life group leader, your study group leader, you work with our next generation, whatever it is, you're influencing people around you. Listen, if you are a Christian and you are breathing, there are people you're influencing one way or another. There are particular people God has brought into your circle of influence. How do we make disciples? Throughout the Bible, particularly the New Testament, an essential tool given to us is that we pray specifically for those under our care that God has led into our lives. Samuel in the Old Testament understood this. He said this referring to Saul. Samuel was the prophet. He was the man who spoke for God to the people. Saul was the new king. God, in effect, entrusted the new king to Samuel's tutelage, Samuel's discipleship, if you will. He was to invest in Saul, help Saul, lead Saul, guide Saul. Here's what Samuel says, 1 Samuel 12, 23. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord. By what, Samuel? Failing to pray for you. He says, Saul, far be it from me, no matter what's going on in your life, I'm not going to sin against God by shirking my responsibility of lifting you up in prayer. There are people in your life God has led into your circle of influence, and the call in your life right now is to pray specifically, diligently, like Epaphras, labor for them in prayer. It's essential in disciple-making. Paul knew this, Ephesians chapter 3, he said of the church at Ephesus that he was discipling, investing in, the people there. He said, I fall on my knees and I pray to the Father, verse 15, the creator of everything in heaven and earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Paul said, I pray that you are empowered by the spirit of Christ. Verse 17, that Christ would make his home in your heart. Verse 18, that you would have the power to understand all God's people should, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God. Paul said, I pray that you have greater capacity to rest in and understand the love of God that he has for you. He's praying. It's a part of his discipleship process. Prayer is essential in this thing called disciple making. Fourthly, let me share one more truth with you about this thing we call prayer. So anytime we talk about prayer, you've got to know there's a degree of mystery. I don't, I don't understand all I know about prayer. I, I, I know this about God. Um, God is absolutely sovereign. God is absolutely in control. I, I know this based on Scripture. God does not need me. God does not need you. God did not create humanity because He was lonely. God did not create Adam and Eve because he needed companionship. He had had that for all eternity within the Trinity. God, therefore, God doesn't need my prayers. God can do and chooses to do what he chooses and wills for his good, his glory, without my praying. However, here's what the Bible clearly seems to teach over and over and over again. Prayer truth number four is this. God chooses to work in people's lives through our prayers. I don't understand it. God allows me to join His activity in my children's lives as I join Him as I pray. God allows me to join in the activity that He's doing in your life as my brothers and sisters as I join Him in prayer. And James says there are some things God will do when we pray that He won't do when we don't pray. I don't understand all that. 
But God chooses to work in people's lives through our prayers. Let me give you some examples quickly. One example we find in the Old Testament in Exodus 17. You can turn there quickly if you'd like. I'm going to quickly go through these verses. Exodus 17, beginning in verse 8. Here's the context. Children of Israel, million people strong, coming out of Egypt. They're headed to the promised land. All they've known for 400 years is slavery. They don't know anything about combat. They don't know anything about fighting. They don't know anything about warfare. They're headed to the promised land. A situation arises in 17.8, and here's what happens. Then Amalek came and fought against Israel at Rephidim. Amalek is not just a person. He's an entire nomadic group of people that hated Israel. They came to destroy Israel. They wanted to wipe the people out. They snuck up behind Israel. They were hounding Israel constantly. Amalek is a typology and a picture of our flesh that continually hounds us as we're journeying toward the promised land. Never goes away. We're battling it by the power of the Spirit within us. So Amalek comes to fight. This is a true story, a real story. So Moses says, hey, Joshua, there's a battle that's about to happen. Amalek's coming. I want you to go down in the valley, get your weapons, and you're going to lead the people in warfare. <laughs> And I could only use my imagination that Joshua had to say something like, hey, I don't know nothing about fighting no battle. All I know about is making bricks. That's what I've been doing for my whole life. Moses says, oh, no, no. You take the men. You go down in the valley. There's a battle going on. Okay, Moses, what are you going to be doing? Are you coming down to fight with us? No, no. Moses said, I'm going to the top of the mountain, and I'm going to begin to pray for you, Joshua. Look what it says. And so Moses said to Joshua, choose men for us and go out and fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I'm going to station myself on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Symbolic of lifting his hands in prayer. He said, you're going to fight the battle down here. I'm going to fight the battle in prayer. What happens? Verse 10, Joshua did as Moses told him and fought against Amalek. Moses and Aaron and Hur went to the top of the mountain to pray. Verse 11, so it came about when Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. When he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. Somehow, some way, what happened on the field of battle was determined by what happened on the mountain of prayer. I don't understand that. There are people in your life, there are situations in your life that the first step for you right now is to take a posture of Moses and say, I'm going to battle on my knees in prayer for my son, my daughter, my wife, my brother, my sister in Christ, my life group, my pastor, my elder, my friend, my neighbor, whatever it is, believing that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is against the spiritual forces of darkness. We're in a spiritual battle. So what happened on the mountain in prayer directly determined what happened down in the valley of battle. Incredible. Second, let me give you a second illustration. I, in fact, I'm gonna give you a second one, but I'm not gonna talk about it. I'm just gonna you're gonna look at it look it up yourself for a second time. Acts 12. Peter is in prison. He's about to be beheaded the next day, and it says the early church was fervently praying for him. You can read what happened. Prayers of God's people changed everything. Give you a third illustration. In fact, I do want you to turn and look at this. Luke 22, very quickly. Luke 22, beginning in verse 31. Here's what's going on. It's the night before. Jesus is going to be crucified the next day. It's leading up to that. 
He tells them what's going to happen. He said, some of you are going to scatter from me. Some of you are going to deny me. And Peter steps up. You know the story. Old Pete, Lord, I'll never deny you. Lord, I got it so covered. You can have confidence in me, Lord. I'll never deny you. I don't care what happens in the next few days. I'm in. I'm all yours. I'll never deny you. Peter had drifted, watch this, Peter had drifted to the fringe of independence. He was relying on his own strength. Jesus knew it. Jesus sensed it. Some of you guys are living there now. You've drifted to the fringe. You're trying to do it on your own. That's a dangerous place to be. And here's what the Bible says. Jesus looks at Peter after his boastful statement about his own strength and says, Simon, Simon. You said, I thought he was talking to Peter. Jesus had renamed him Peter, which meant rock. And now Jesus twice calls him Simon. That was his former name. As to say, hey, you're acting like who you used to be. So what do you mean? Simon, Simon, Peter, you need to know something. Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. Time out. Hang with me here. Jesus was aware of what was coming. By the way, Jesus is always aware of what's coming. We're not. He said, something's coming around the corner in your life, Peter, and the enemy has demanded permission. And by the way, that means that whatever enters our life, Satan has only the power that he's allowed to have in our life by God. I don't even understand all of that. He's demanded permission to sift you like wheat. There's something coming that's going to test you. You're going to be tempted to deny me. You're going to be tempted to fall away. You're going to be tempted to move to the fringe. In other words, Jesus knew what was coming in Peter's life. It was of eternal significance what was happening in Peter's life. And you say, what does Jesus do about it? I mean, does he call down an army from heaven? Does he call down lightning bolts? How does Jesus deal with the situation of what was coming in Simon Peter's life? Listen to what it says. Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you, but... I have prayed for you. Now, I hope that lands on you like that landed on me this week. Jesus Christ, who has infinite power, who could have called down the armies of heaven, says this, I prayed for you. I am praying for you. In other words, the difference in Peter's life was the fact that Christ was praying on his behalf. How'd it turn out? Jesus said, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, that you will endure, that you'll finish. And then once you have turned again, once you've moved from the fringes and you've returned, you will strengthen your brothers. Listen, when I read this verse, I read this verse as a pastor. I also read this verse as a parent. And I realize potentially, God, give me a sense and an awareness of what's going on in the life of the people God's called me to shepherd, the people God's called me to lead in my own home, realizing that God may use my prayers, my specific, spirit-led, Bible-saturated prayers to be the difference in my son or daughter's life. I don't understand all that. Jesus said, I have prayed for you. 
Parents, one of the greatest things you can do for your children is to take, like I said before, the posture here. I don't know what's coming up in my son's life. I'm not even sure what all he's battling right now. I'm going to pray for my boy. If you're here and you're a grandparent, let me strongly encourage you. One of the greatest ministries you can have as a grandparent is to be able to pray for your grandchildren in ways that only a grandparent can. Pray like Jesus prayed for Peter. Pray like Moses prayed for his people. Lifting your arms in prayer on behalf of your grandchildren. What a ministry that can be. Prayer is a responsibility. Prayer is a privilege. God uses our prayers in the lives of people. I don't understand all that, but it's reality. So what I want to do now is I want to ask a question that maybe some of you are asking and do my best to try to answer this. Pastor Mike, if I was real honest, and I know this is a reality, for some of you in this room, you say, how do I, how do I move to that place? What, what is my next step to be to be in a place where I know I'm consistently prayed for and that I have the opportunity to pray for brothers and sisters I mean let's be honest you look around the room you say I mean this is a big church I mean there's three services two campuses I don't know all these people I, it, I get it that's impossible but what you need is to for many of you the, the step for you today as I've talked about before is this is I'm ready to take a step into community. I'm ready to take a step and, and afford myself the opportunity of being connected with other believers. One of the ways we do that here, it's not the only way to get about it, it's the way we do it here though, is something called a life group. A life group is made up of a smaller group of brothers and sisters who come together on a regular basis to pray for one another, to talk through God's Word together, to keep each other accountable. Life groups exist to live life together so that you're not on your own. You have a place to belong. Some of you, for many reasons, have never taken that step to, to move into a life group. We, we want that for you. Not so we can check it off on our program. Not so we can say, look how many people are in life groups. I yearn it for your health and your maturity and your growth and your stability so you can thrive as a disciple of Christ. Now more than me talk about a life group, I want you to have the opportunity for just a couple minutes here as we close and we're wrapping up. I want you to see a, a real life life group. So I'm going to ask that group of ladies to come on down and come on down uh, front of the church and you're going to have the opportunity with your own eyes to see a real life living color life group so ladies you guys come on down and uh, I'll just have to tell you being honest this group of ladies is one of the uh, most awesome groups we have at our church but they were a little reluctant to stand in front of the whole church so would you guys just kind of welcome them and help them feel comfortable you're going to be first so this is a life group of ladies. They meet on a regular basis. They live life together. And uh, just curious, for how many of you guys, uh, this was the first kind of experience of a life group like this that you had ever experienced? Debbie, I think it's your very first. It was my first, yeah. So I think your story was a little bit of a little reluctance yes. to ever <laughs> a lot of reluctance. step into that group, to take that step. So uh, share a little bit about that for us. Why were um, you so reluctant? When I was learning about um, life groups, one of the things that stood out to me was that there was an aspect of accountability. I don't like accountability very much. I don't think a lot of people do. I mean, I'm accountable to like 700 people, so I'm thinking more accountability. But 
as I got involved in this life group, I learned that accountability in a life group is really about love and support and following up with you mm. with your issues. And um, it wasn't like somebody's going to be standing there with a pencil and a checklist and did you do this and didn't you do that and all that. I was entirely wrong mm. about it. Mm. I was. And I'm so thankful that uh, I was invited by a friend to go to the life group the first time. And um, I've been going for two years now. Wow. And it's probably the the best part of my week, wow. every week when I go. Fantastic. I awesome. love it. Would you go ahead and pass that on to Marie? Marie, uh, tell us a little bit, what's it meant to you to be a part of this life group? Being part of a life group for me has meant many blessings. It's sharing my heart's desires with my circle of uh, Christian friends. It's getting to know their lives and them getting to know me. Um, they're like my safety net at times. Uh, I can share anything with them, and it's confidential. And I feel so much better getting that burden off my chest. Um, it's also meant a great deal to me the fact that our church has given this church body the opportunity to be part of this group. It's very meaningful, and until you really get into it, you might not be real comfortable there at first. But once you get into the groove of things, it's going to be very beneficial, and you're going to be so thankful and God's going to be very pleased. Mm, fantastic. Thank you. Lorraine, let me ask you, and Miss Dottie both, you can kind of chime in on this, but I know your story and know what's been going on in your life the last couple of years. It's not been easy. Uh, you've been a part of this group, and I think you've seen the power of prayer as you've prayed for one another. So just share that with your brothers and sisters. What's that look like in your life? When Kay asked me to be part of this group, I had no idea of what was coming down the road for me. And I look back, and I cannot imagine mm. how I would have survived without this group. Um, in the past two years, I have lost my husband to cancer. I have found out that I have stage 4 cancer. I have lost my mother-in-law. Uh, I have watched my mother deal with dementia and succumb to it. And these ladies have prayed me through it all. And uh, I am more sure that God answers prayers than I ever was before because mm. he does give peace that passes understanding. Mm. He does let us know that he loves and he'll never forsake us. Mm. So the fact that he dropped me into this family of ladies when my family is disappearing quickly wow. is such a blessing. If, if you have an opportunity, you are missing out if you don't align yourself with a group of people that will pray you through it. Wow, fantastic. Thank you. Stoddy, tell us about it. Um, I went to Africa for three months this summer. It was 110 degrees. I was working 12 hours. I had no idea that I could could do it. And these ladies prayed for me, and they truly through prayer gave me the strength to run and not grow weary, to walk and not faint, and I could feel their prayers every minute of every day. Fantastic. Thank you. Miss Charlotte, let me ask you to kind of wrap this up. If there's some folks out here, and we know there are, that are reluctant to step into a life group for a, a Absolutely. host of reasons, what do that, you say to that? That's so true. Well, first I want to tell you real quick what happened to me. I've also been 
find the power of the Lord in our lives because I'm born in Germany and during the Second World War, the Russians were coming and we lost everything. But the Lord led us through triumphantly and I was able to meet my husband and I've been now here for over 50 years. I have a handicapped child, I have three more daughters, but the Lord really was very faithful to us and I want to thank them and praise him. So now if you should like to attend a group, you will find people that sit in a very comfortable uh, settings and that praise the Lord and just you get to know those people and and it's just a plain joy they're, they're sharing the joy and sharing their sorrows and 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 being prayed for that is one of the major things prayer as mike said really is because we've seen many answers to prayers so but not only is that those things there is also fun and laughter because the Bible says the heart, the merry heart does well as a medicine. So, and once a month there is a potluck supper, which is dinner. That's very good. <laughs> so please enjoy and come and let us praise the Lord together. Amen. Try it, you like it. <laughs> well, there you have it. Try it, you'll like it. All right. Thank you. Thank these ladies. Thank you very much. <laughs> So they said it a lot better than I could. I wanted you to see a face to it. Uh, Real life opportunities you have to connect, uh, to belong like the Bible affords us that privilege. For some of you, the next step is what we said earlier to step into community, to lay aside the challenges of I'm too busy, got too much else going on, I don't need it, I'm doing fine by myself. Whatever all those challenges are, we're not touting a program here at all. We're holding out a biblical principle so you can thrive as a disciple of Jesus. We want that for you. So what we're going to give you is a couple minutes here just to really spend before the Lord and kind of determine what's my next step. We want you to have some information in front of you in the seat pocket in front of all of you is a white sheet like this with information on both sides. I just encourage you to take that out for a second. Um, And what's listed here is on one side, all of our life groups by geographical area, where they are in our community. Life groups being those smaller groups, predominantly meeting homes for accountability, discussing over God's Word, praying together as you heard. Uh, Those are listed here. If you're not in a life group, we want you to move toward that. We want to help you with that. On the other side are what we call our study groups. We also offer what are called study groups. These are semester-based courses that you can take to study God's Word together in community. These are trained, skilled, equipped teachers that are going to teach you God's Word. All of our study groups are brand new and are starting next week. You see them listed here. Uh, You can find out more online. And when we leave, every study group is represented at the fair that's downstairs, a table. You can go meet that leader, ask all the questions you want to ask. If you're ever going to jump into one, now's the time. Everybody in the group will be new. You can jump in there uh, with others. So I want you to take this, pray over it, look over it, say, here's the study group I'm going to jump in. Here, here's the life group that might work for me. And we'll give you more information in just a minute of how you can practically and logistically be a part of it. But right now, I just want you to respond to God. Not to me, 
I'm not going to manipulate. I'm not going to put any pressure on you. I'm not going to try to make you feel bad. I want this to be something for you so you can thrive as a disciple of the Lord Jesus, all right? So just right there, just take a few minutes, pray through this. I'm going to sit down, then Wes Tucker's going to come and walk you through some specific directions in just a minute, all right?